All right, welcome to Blessed Lunatics, our Patreon-exclusive podcast. If you are hearing this, then you are a New Faith New Media patron, and we love you. Uh, and hey. yes. <laughs> um, And today, uh, we have me. I'm Gail Gallagher. I host Faith in What Resonates, and I identify as Unitarian, uh, Universalist, uh, Recovering Catholic, with a lot of Buddhism and nonsense in my brain. Uh, all right, who else do we have here? I'm Michelle Byerly. I'm United Methodist pastor serving in Nebraska and have pretty much grown up United Methodist, but chose it along the way as well. I'm uh, Andrew Miller, a, a present Catholic priest, uh, uh, recovering Mormon. Hmm. I'm the only lay person here. <laughs> you're our leader. Yay. The first, mm. I didn't go to seminary. I just drink beer and have deep thoughts. And well, that's what we're we, going to do today. We um, did go to seminary and we drink beer and have deep thoughts. Too. I know. <laughs> so having beer and... Think and, for yourself on drinking beer, Andrew. <laughs> I've given you beer before. Yeah, yeah, I've only had it once in a while. It's not my favorite. <laughs> um but so, yeah and but speaking of what are we drinking today oh yeah what are we drinking today boulevard space camper cosmic ipa awesome and it has a wonderful astronaut on the front mm -hmm. mountain new live wire orange Ooh. wesleyans and, and <laughs> i have a beguile brewery lager beguile is a chicago beer that's very good I love your Goose Island Brewery. Mm, Goose Island's good. Um, they had, uh, for I don't know if they still had it, but they had what was called the the MBA, which was the Masters of Beer Appreciation. And it was like <laughs> essentially like a, a glorified stamp card, but you could like, it if you did so many, I, I forgot what the stipulations were, but you could get t-shirts and nonsense um, mm -hmm. by getting little stamps for beer. It's a stamp card. Anyway, but it had a cute name and it was very good. Um, hey, so today we are going to talk about social media. Um, that is what we are here to talk about today and sort of the role it plays in our lives, the good, the bad, the memes and all that good stuff. <laughs> um, so let's start with just like uh, what? <laughs> how, how long have you been a social media addict? And um, <laughs> no, no. What's your relationship with social media and just a general pass of of how long it's been in your life and general thoughts. Hi, I'm Andrew and I'm a social media addict. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> no, it's, uh, um, I, I got onto Facebook in the year 2005 when it was maybe a year or two old. And uh, it came at that time, it was just for college kids and your college had to have like a relationship with Facebook in order to, I think it might have even been called the Facebook at that time. And uh, but that, that's really the only social media platform that I've really been able to get into. Uh, I, I can't stand Twitter um, and I can't I, I, I did MySpace for a while, but well, it died. And uh, um, yeah, it's all I'm just a Facebook nerd or addict. <laughs> Not a nerd. Um, yeah, Michelle. So I followed just a little bit behind Andrew. I joined Facebook my first year of college, which would have been fall of 2006. And um, yeah, in the same way, I couldn't get into to, uh, Twitter. And, and um, I, I have, I did the MySpace for just a very, very, very tiny bit. But like Andrew said, it kind of faded off into non-existence. <laughs> Um, I, uh, am, am not a TikTok person, but I have definitely been made aware of this phenomenon. So, um, but yeah, Facebook is my, my main one. Hmm. Yeah. So I, let's see. So 
I ha- I started my my social media uh, addiction uh, <laughs> uh, in uh, like high school or high school, maybe even middle school with MySpace. I had a MySpace page. I did a blog on MySpace. I put all my teenage thoughts on MySpace. Uh, and and as one does, um, and I also um, around that time hung out a lot on internet forums that were doing online role playing. Um, then I joined Facebook in 2006, and it was still when you needed a college email. And like the minute I had my Nebraska email, I signed up for it. Um, and then I am also on Instagram and TikTok and uh, and Twitter and all those things. And I've gone through like assorted journeys of like social media fasting and then coming back to it and then back on and back to it um and i spent a lot of time consuming content that's like here are all the ways that technology can program your brain and that but that but then i i am am programmed by it so i come back to it (laughs) uh and that's the journey i'm on and also as an artist i promote myself through social media and i value like what I've been able to, like it's been a key part of my ability to network and find gigs and and stuff. So like it is a core part of like what I need to like get my stuff out in the world. But uh, it's it it is an interesting dynamic of learning how much you, like how to use it as a tool. Like it's like there's been this transition from. Facebook being like, here are all of my friends and family and everyone I know to here are people that I follow because we have common interests. And um, and it's it's interesting how there's like this record of how much you've grown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very conflicted about it. Very conflicted because on the one hand, I feel like um, to say that it is too harmful is to be unfair because it really does enable connections between people that would otherwise really be impossible. There are many people whom I would count as friends now whom I either haven't met uh, in person or I haven't seen in years and years, but we are able to interact with each other through social media. And that's a good thing. Um, on the other hand, I, I feel like it reflects this sense in which um, there was a time in the mid nineties when the internet was very new when there was a feeling in which the world was shrinking Mm. and in which this new World Wide Web would provide a forum uh, that would facilitate greater democracy, greater solidarity, a greater sense of contact with with other people. And and there was a, a kind of tech utopia, a kind of tech utopian thinking about it at the time. And now I think that what we've learned is not only has that not come to pass, there's also a sense in which a tech dystopia is quite possible. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when we're not speaking with each other in person, there are so many conversational cues that we're missing. So for instance, we don't hear the tone of the person's voice. We don't hear the facial expressions that would see the facial expressions that they're making. And as a result, it's very, very difficult to interpret what they're trying to say. And even though it's, it's right there in plain text. Um, and I think that a, a lot of our misunderstandings through face, through, you know, through social media conflict come from that. Um, and I, I suppose I wonder if, I mean, and we in the church we've come into into into, into this conflict a lot with um, there, now in the independent Catholic movement. There are questions around whether or not face or, or whether or not uh, sacraments through social media are valid. So, for instance, 
Um, and, and this isn't just about like Facebook, MySpace, TikTok, that sort of, this is through Zoom and other things. So for instance, having church through Zoom, having the congregation put bread in front of their computer, the priest says the words of consecration. And the understanding is, is that the, the bread in front of everybody's computer hundreds of miles away is consecrated. Um, there's a question in our tradition about whether or not that is valid. And that, that extends beyond our tradition. Um, as United and, Methodists were experiencing that too, and most of the instruction had been formulated prior to the current pandemic and has since kind of gone back into flux as we've had to reevaluate that. Yeah, we don't consecrate bread, but it is still awkward. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, and nevertheless, there is something in that is lost. And mm -hmm. where, 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 whether I come down on, yes, it's valid, yes, it's not. Whether I come down on, yes, social media is ultimately a good thing or a bad thing, um, there is something that is profoundly lost if all of our interactions with each other take place through or most of our interactions with each other. And I think most of our interactions with each other as a, the, the, in terms of the grand each other really do take place uh, uh, online. And I think something is profoundly lost with that. Yeah. For all that yeah. is gained. Yeah. Um, oh man, there are so many, there's, there's so many different directions you can go on with that. Um, and I definitely resonate with the, I like something I've observed and just really, you know, like the, the data supports it that like text, because so much of human communication is body language and tone and things like text is just like, it is such a base communication. Also the written word like people have been developing the written word for years and years and years and years. And now, so, and, and it is not conducive to small, like, you know, messages and things like that. Like people like, like there isn't like, how do you put tone and nuance or like get a sarcasm font It like, you know, like something. Um, and, and also like in this pandemic, like one thing I've observed with virtual versus in person is that, um, once we started, we, so my church does, uh, is now full, is now in person with, with zoom options. So we're doing a hybrid thing, but during the summer, once a month, we would have church in the park and, um, I, and it was, and it was so grounding. And then, uh, and then when I came back to zoom services, I was like, I am a squirrel. I can't concentrate. I feel bad that I can't concentrate, <laughs> you know, and and you just, and you, like, for me, I need that stimulation of being able to see other people, you know, because if you space out and you look at the person next to you or you look up or you look at the space, like, it feels like you're in present in the moment. Whereas if you space out when you're home, you're like, I am hot ADD garbage and I can't concentrate on church and I feel bad about it, you know? <laughs> um which is also my own like former Catholic guilt, probably. <laughs> um, you should come to confession. Okay. <laughs> this is a segment we call <laughs> Gail goes to confession. <laughs> no. Um, it's um, <clears throat> there's a, a couple of rabbit holes I'd want to jump down. Mm -hmm. The first one is to think of the Bible itself and scripture itself, ancient scriptures as social media. Let me unpack that a little bit. Um, we read scripture today. That's wrong. We're not supposed to read scripture. We're supposed to hear scripture. The scripture exists. And I, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting I put it that way to make a point. I don't put it that way to say that in reality, reading scripture on your own is wrong. I, I, I'm making a point and I'm being um, hyperbolic to do so. The scripture was written so that, so that congregation electors could read to the people and the people could hear it. Yeah. And if you look at ancient text in general, Christians, Judeo-Christian scripture in particular, it doesn't read like a novel because in novels, what? there's 
there's so much detail that you get, right? Why? Because the story is meant to be read. You're supposed to sit there and read it and use the text to build the world in your head. Well, the scripture is meant to be read by a storyteller. In that sense, it functions more like an outline. And the storyteller gets the bullet points, right? And the story goes on in the performance of the story to the congregation. And in the hearing of the congregation, it is, an, it is written in an oral culture. But we started down the rabbit hole of trying to um, give lectors um, bullet points to follow. And all of a sudden, our minds begin to be trained to process information in a very, very different way. So for instance, back in the first century, people, if you were to give someone a laundry list orally, they'd memorize it and they'd remember it automatically because that's how their brains work. They hear things and they remember them. But now that we have things written down and literacy rates skyrocket, we don't remember things anymore because we just, we have them written down so we don't have to. And so it, it, it begins, this, 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 it, there's a slippery slope that starts from there to where our, our, our brain starts to process information and create worlds by looking at things visually instead of hearing things, which you know, expands into novels, television, um, the internet, and finally, um, relationships itself. Now, I'm not, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but there is something that is definitely lost there. Hmm. There's a cost in that progression. So I would, I would say that, you know, social media, we often decry social media and television kids these days. You know, you go back a hundred years ago and you find that people would decry kids who read too much for much the same reason. Who, have, who watch too much television, who spend too much time on social media. There's a cost, but it's the same damn thing <laughs> that keeps coming up over and over again. So it, it's not so simple as to say that social media is this great evil that is brand new and introducing you know, these new problems. These problems have been with us with every great leap in media. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that checks out with that. There's this book... Um, the shallows that sort of traces technology and um, and how the human mind has adapted, and that's those are some of the the points that he makes in that book. So that 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 yeah that and that checks out. I also what you were saying about scripture mean, uh, being meant to be read is is actually super helpful for me as I'm like sitting here like I guess I should read the Bible more. But like, I don't, you know, so it's can harder. I make an analogy? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Gail, if I can tell a story with you. Yes. You made me actually appreciate Shakespeare. I was just going to talk about Shakespeare. Keep going. <laughs> because, I mean, I, I read it, you know, you read it on a page in, in high school and they and all of this. But it wasn't until I went and saw it in the theater at the graveyard, nonetheless, that I truly began to appreciate the fact that we were trying to read a medium mm -hmm. that's not meant to be in that medium. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be presented out loud and, and see it. And that was when I really began to understand the language of Shakespeare. And I began to appreciate it so much more. And so I think that that's part of the analogy here that I'm hearing of, you know, we should be, getting together and reading scripture together more regularly in community. Mm -hmm. And I try to emphasize that with my congregation too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it should it, be here. Yeah. It needs to be heard. And that, that also like, it's interesting. And then my next thought was like, because I read a lot of Shakespeare, is that why I just really dig the King James version? <laughs> like, Well, isn't that interesting how, um, you know, there is a, there is a very strong theological branch that says King James only. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll flip between on my app, but yeah. like, um, yeah. I also, 
did the need to find a Bible app that speaks Unitarian because I don't know about all those things in there. <laughs> yeah. The, the analogy I think with social media is, is that in the way that we're really not supposed to read scripture, we're supposed to hear scripture and we're supposed to perform scripture. In the same way, we're really not supposed to electronize. I think I might have just made up that word, electronicize, electron, you know what I'm trying to say. Digitize. Hum digitize human relationships. The medium of human relationships, and even, we're even doing it right now, even though we can see each other and hear each mm -hmm. other. The medium of human relationships is sitting in a room yeah. and communicating with each other. I mean, even now we're missing cues, we're missing um, the environment, the gestalt of, of everything that's going on in each other's rooms. And yet, you know, digitizing this allows us, I've never even met you, Gail. We never sat in the same room together. Mm -hmm. Never. And yet, we, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we, I, I, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yet this medium allows us to connect to, through this, through, through New Faith New Media in a way that is, 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 is quite wonderful. But nevertheless, there's something that is lost if we don't stay grounded in what it really means to be intimate with another human being. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that sexually. I mean that intimacy, yeah. and conversational intimacy. So. Absolutely. And, and I think that, uh, yeah, audio mediums and visual mediums, like, are so much more grounding than text mediums. Like, I think most of my social media frustration these days is text mediums because yeah, there isn't, like, it is just not how a good way to process human interaction. And audio and, and visual is still not in person, but it is still another, like, a, a way to get that human connection. And, um, and, and yeah, it's, it, it's totally, but, but, but it also, you make me think of, like, I've been teaching during the pandemic and like, I've really noticed even like uh, teaching online versus teaching in person is so different. You like pick up on so many cues and like the, uh, the back and forth energy. And when I actually met students in person that we started out online, there was this, like, there was this, this really like, I, I felt really connected to those students because like we, we had that moment of actually meeting in, in person afterwards. It's sort of like meeting your friends from the internet, you know? Um, like when you're, I don't know, I, as a teenager, if you had internet friends who like you begged your parents to go meet, but like I live that life and it's a similar thing where, you know, you're, you're really wanting that connection and you find it online and I th and then, you know, meeting them in person, which is like also just a core part of like nerd culture, I think, too, is we have a lot of Internet friends and we're used to it and we need to be better about meeting in person. <laughs> but it's at least my experience. But The second rabbit hole that I would like to go down to uh, are either of you familiar with the philosopher Robert Nozick? No. He is no. a... Uh, He's a philosopher. Uh, uh, well, of course he's a philosopher. I just said he's a philosopher. Um, but no, he, um, he, some of his work is political. He's a libertarian. But uh, I just did a mock vomiting of the libertarian. But anyway, uh, but he also um, did an essay, a thought experiment called Nozick's Experience Machine. And he, he, he suggested the following that um, what if um, we could construct a machine that you could enter where your body would essentially be put to sleep for the rest of your life, but you would experience yourself as essentially, it's like the matrix, only the point is a little different, right? You'd, you'd experience yourself as having a life, right? And we could program the kind of life that you wanted, right? To where you'd essentially have a, a beautiful, wonderful life and, and you know, you'd, uh, you'd, You'd, you'd experience a joyful, wonderful, contented life, and, but your actual body would be in, you know, just entirely um, asleep and just in a, in a tube somewhere, right? Like, would you enter that machine? And uh, well, uh, a lot of folks, the, the first response that folks make is, well, no, because I mean, you know, shouldn't, 
shouldn't there be some pain and suffering in life as well? Oh, okay, sure, fair. We can program some pain into the into the experience machine. We can do that for you. I mean, if that's if that's if that's what you want, then we can program whatever you need for fulfillment in the in, in the machine. Would you enter the machine then? And at the point at some point it. it it, it, be, it comes to the point at which whether you enter the machine or not is entirely irrelevant because the, the experience of life is all, almost the same either way. But I wonder if there's a sense in which social media is a kind of experience machine in which our body becomes kind of a, a neutral, well, except for that part of it that reads and processes data, becomes mm -hmm. a kind of neutral um, pulp. Yeah. Um, whereas the, you know, our, our interactions are take place in this text-based web of cyberspace. I mean, there's just a philosophical question about what is reality? <laughs> yeah. You know? And, yeah, yeah, is yeah. is it what we create? Because there's some that argue that you know reality is all a, a, a creation of our mind anyway. That we create a perception based on the data that our sensory <laughs> neurons take in and make meaning of. There's a philosopher. Uh, he was also Archbishop of Canterbury, oddly enough. Um, his name is George Berkeley, and he suggested that, um, um, okay, and then he, was, he, he stood in the tradition called British empiricism, which argued that knowledge can only come through sensory data or sensory experience, basically, right? Um, so all you can experience is your sense perception. That's all you've got, right? So therefore you don't have any basis, epistemologically speaking, to assert that anything other than that sensory experience exists at all. So how do you know that God exists then? So, well, no, I mean, he, 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 well, it's, it's, more, it's, it's more radical than that. How do you know that this coffee cup exists? You have no, you do not have sufficient data to, to, to assert that the coffee cup exists. All you have is the feeling of hardness that you're holding it, the sight of it, but well, what if all, that's all there is? There's no coffee cup there. It's just a sight and feeling of hardness and all of that. That's all. That's all the data you've got. That, that I mean, that that's all you've got. And and what he would say is is that asserting that therefore the coffee cup exists in the objective out there is you don't have any sufficient evidence to make that assertion. I don't like it. That's, mm, that's a good, mm, that's, that, that's a nice idea of coffee right there. Yeah. I, mm, 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 but it's so interesting. Mm, mm, mm. Christian fundamentalism arises as the rejection of that mm. because um, uh, there's the, the, the Phyllis. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm down a rabbit hole. Do you want me to stop? <laughs> Uh, I I just I uh, I mean finish finish your finish your thought because because if we're gonna start talking about fundamentalists I will probably have some thoughts. <laughs> the intellectual um, uh, tradition that undergirds what we now call fundamentalism in the Christian world is a mm -hmm. philosophical school of thought thought called Scottish realism, okay. which is the view. Okay, so the problem with empiricism in in the John Locke George Berkeley, David Hume's sense, is that all you have access to are the ideas. So therefore, all, all you can, like, for instance, even you know, pushing your, your thumb and your finger together, you feel this sort of hardness, right? Well, that you don't have any basis on which to say that the thumb and the finger are actually pushing together. All you have is just the hardness and the sight, and so it's just the sight and the hardness. These are ideas, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have access to your ideas. You don't have you, you don't have access to the thumb and the finger itself. The the ideas may or may not need the eight between the actual thumb and the finger itself. You don't you don't know, but you have access to the ideas. So what the Scottish realist would say, and I still don't understand the epistemological argument that they make, but this this is what they say, is that it's not the idea of the rose that smells good. It's the rose that smells good. Okay. In other words, it's, it's, they want to try to de-emphasize 
the mediating ability of ideas and, and get at and, and argue that it's possible for the human for the human person to get at reality itself, material reality itself. Now, how that goes into Christian fundamentalism is a fun, fun journey, but uh, uh, I, I feel like a lot of this uh, is an, an analogous to the idea of, um, well, I mean, we're talking about media, mm-hmm. right? Ideas as media, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the use of electronics as media, you know, and, 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 and as Michelle says, it opens up so many questions about about reality. I mean, if all I've got is just an electronic connection between the two of you, do I really have enough to say that we're actually even engaging in a conversation itself? What if all there is is just the electronic? But but with the electronics is the what? Okay, so I'm curious where sound plays into this though, because it's an idea. I mean, oh, but but sound but sound also has like I mean, sound is is making the air wiggle. So there's there's wiggly air that's traveling. Assuming so that's that- a thing. Is there assuming that the air falls? exists, <laughs> assuming that the air exists, I mean, all, all, all you have access to is just the sound, the, the experience of the sound. You don't right, have access. But there's something that is triggering my my eardrums to make that go. So there's that there's that sound connection happening there. Is there? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think we've come to posit that scientifically, but I, I, I mean, it's certainly doubt, it's certainly doubtable. <laughs> Uh, see, this is uh, so. So here's the thing about 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 getting getting ph- philosophical about like oh like this is all an imagined reality stuff. Like it, I've I've known people who 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 took that like a little like it was it, it, who were into that so much that I was like, you need to sleep. Yeah, you need to sleep. You need to like go. No, we're here. Reality is here. And also, like, I think the other, I mean, and, and so I guess in that case, I guess the concept of like Scottish realism or just being like, this is a thing that I can feel. It is physically here. We could do a science on it to, to, to tell us that it is physically here. Um, I don't know if you could do science on it. Well, and it's interesting. <laughs> and it's interesting. So something that I have seen floating around on social media, interestingly, mm-hmm. is people in distress. The recommendation is like five things you see, yes. four things you can touch or, you know, I forget what the order is, but it's like things that, you know, it is engaging the senses to ground you in reality. Yeah. And, and, and I know that like part of my thing is I will just get into my head too. Like, and so part of mm. what is helpful for me spiritually is like, but where does that feel, you know, this is part of why I ask where does, where, where does uh, music or where does inspiration resonate land in your body is because I think um, theology and what we feel about the world can just like live in our head. And until we actually connect with like where, what all is happening, because our body is also sensing the world and we have to not disassociate from it. And, and yeah. And uh, that's, that's also part of communication. You know? Amen. And and honestly, I would definitely not recommend embracing George Berkeley's idealism or David Hume's uh, radical skepticism. I would not recommend that. And I've and I've read the New Age books that like are adjacent to that. Um, the because because I, dear listeners, I am a weirdo that will sometimes read uh, New Age spirituality like it's a trashy romance novel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> like I do not take it seriously, but but sometimes I'll just I'll just read it like because it's it's a train wreck that kind of makes me feel good, uh, like you know. Yeah, it's a real epistemological problem. Is yeah. is my point that yeah. it's an it, it, epistemology meaning theory of knowledge. Yeah, that mm-hmm. the idea of how do we know that beings other than ourselves exist. Well, if we're looking for absolute, undoubtable knowledge, we don't. Um, I think we can say that looking out from ourselves, there is a high probability that they do. And um, if we see ourselves as in a web of relationships, um, then it strikes me that um, the only logical conclusion of really embracing 
George Berkeley's idealism, which he didn't embrace, by the way. He, he, he uses a thought experiment. Same, say, so did Hume, so did all the empiricists. The only logical, and th their, their point was to point out that these are philosophical problems we don't know how to think out of. Um, but the only logical conclusion of embracing their mode of thought and I think the only logical conclusion of really embracing a pure um, social media oriented web of relationships outside of actual real relationships is narcissism. Mm -hmm. that, that's the only conclusion. That, and that's why I am so, and, and this, is, this may be controversial even among the three of us, that's why I'm so anti-relativist is because um, it's important, as you said, Gail, to ground ourselves as part of the bigger reality, that we are not the measure in the center of reality, we are a part of reality. And you know, I think it's important to remember just that we're, as Bill Nye says, a speck, um, mm -hmm. on a speck. There are billions and billions of stars, billions and billions of, it puts us in our place. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it makes us realize that there is an objective reality out there. We've yeah. kind of gotten off of social media and that's my mm -hmm. fault and I'm sorry. Yeah. So I'm going to bring us back. Okay. What do you guys make of being in a world, we've often heard the term, the information economy, you know, and where ideas themselves are becoming the new currency. Marketplace of ideas. That's an yeah. old philosophical idea. Yeah. What do you guys make of that? So, for example, what are the ethics around putting up paywalls on newspapers and oh research God. articles? <laughs> and, you know, because there was I was actually just reading this the other day where there was someone who basically had access to JSTOR mm -hmm. and downloaded all of these articles to make them available for everybody. And he was federally prosecuted. And and it just became this big legal thing. You know, I think, and his argument that was that we paid for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I think that it demonstrates the futility of market fundamentalism in the following way, that um, it's not a market, the, the idea of a marketplace of ideas and the idea of marketizing information is that the best information will will out. The mar market forces will lead the best information and the best ideas to win out. And I think the last um, <laughs> decade has demonstrated that that is, that is blatantly false. Nope. That, that is just not true. That leaving it all to a marketplace, a free, um, un unregulated marketplace of ideas and information is not going to lead to the kind of democracy, is mm -hmm. not going to lead to the kind of um, human solidarity that you're looking for. Especially when um, you have platforms that are specifically engineered to uh, highlight uh, stuff that is incendiary and 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 things and I, I i come to this recording after listening to uh an episode of your undivided attention which is the podcast that um tristan harris from the social dilemma started and that can get really like like in the weeds silicon valley like tech you know nonsense but but it is actually like it's 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 all about these like conversations of like the information economy and how things are Think things are manipulated. Uh, and um, actually, the episode I was listening to um, was on a um, it was it was him and another uh, person in that field were interviewed on this like live podcast. And the host was like, can you word that for somebody who's been who went to Penn State? Like, can you can you dial it down? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Which I and I'm not sure where I was going with that. Uh, other than yeah, I don't know. If so how do we? Yeah. So how do we break out of those bubbles that automatically mm -hmm. get created because of algorithms and and all of that? Um, we realize that algorithms are not neutral arbiters. That um, and 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 this is Marxism. It's also postmodernism, and there's some debate as to whether or not Marxism is postmodern anyway. But this is, there really isn't any such thing as a neutral arbiter. The algorithms 
contain the implicit bias of the people who designed them. And, and all of this, like everything, oh heavens, everything that, that transpires in political life, and I think social media and all social life is political life, is designed to empower someone. Who is it empowering is an extremely important question. And the ideas that we're used to, you know, the, the ideas like uh, the concept of, of a market, uh, of you know, who does that empower? A marketplace of ideas, who does that empower? Because at the end of the day, whether or not like market fundamentalism succeeds in making everyone more prosperous is entirely irrelevant to the point. Market fundamentalism is designed is, is designed to empower a certain group of people. It's not designed to make everyone's life better. If it does that, happy accident. But these are philosophical justifications that are designed to empower certain people at the expense of others. There's my Marxist slash liberation sure. theology slash. And, and market fundamentalism is just like the, the fundamental idea that like, the things will like the the best man wins is that what that is or well it's the idea not only that but that um markets are utilitarian in other words they they, they promote the greatest possible good for the greatest possible number uh, of people okay. contra the absence yeah. of markets so that, that yeah. everything is fine the stuff that is the at the top is supposed to be there don't worry about it don't look at the man behind the curtain that kind of thing and it's and you yourself if you're not at the top are better off than you would be if you lived in, say, a socialist society. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. The, Socialism. Those people, those people with their, their free health care are yeah. just a bunch of communists, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, yeah. And <laughs> they're, making the, they're making the economy less, uh, less efficient. And, and, and I think it, it's interesting how, how social media always comes back to that, doesn't it? It always comes back to the, uh, and, and media in general. I mean, to me, it's a profoundly economic problem. Mm -hmm. and, and economics is entirely about human relationships yeah and so and and how human beings in their yeah. relationships produce and consume goods and, and, I, and i will say like it, it um, the flip side of the algorithm is um this is is the as an artist like micro niches exist and finding your very specific people exists and finding communities exists and like and mm -hmm. uh granted uh my my targeted ads can be a little bit little bit dumb sometimes but uh like dumb in the sense that they are just absurdly on point um and that's 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 an issue uh but um right now i'm getting i'm getting ads for getting your adhd diagnosed and synthesizers those are the two ads i get are synthesizers and adhd di diagnoses i keep getting a bunch yeah. of ads for republican shit oh no what did you I do keep getting ones why i keep getting ones for working for the nsa oh boy <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, this is a segment called what do your target? Who do your targeted ads think you are? <laughs> Apparently, I'm a fundamentalist Christian Republican. And I, I asked I asked my Facebook friends when, you know, posted general. Why do I keep getting all of these Trump ads? Why do I keep getting all of these Republican Party ads and Epoch Times subscription offers and that sort of thing? One of my comrades said, because you're a Christian. So, oh, OK, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. So, um, I, I want to, yeah, sorry if I can take it a slightly. Um, one of the, I want to talk about one of the benefits that social media has had, and that is raising awareness about things that we wouldn't normally have had awareness about previously. You know, things like the value of being able to take out your phone and live stream if there's an abuse going on, or, but then on the flip side, that can also be a turned around mm -hmm. you know so what do you guys make of that element of social media that it can be used as a tool to organize to um shine a light on something i absolutely and indeed i i think social media is what 
the written word and the printing press were um, 500 to 1,000 years ago. Well, the printing press 500 years ago, the advent of the written word, oh, shoot, uh, seven, 10,000 years ago, depending on who you ask. Um, in other words, they are tools and they can be abused to create a dystopia or they can be used to promote um, um, the interests of the poor, oppressed, marginalized, and vulnerable. Um, any object in that sense can be used in much the same way. I think, or I wonder if what statistics are bearing out is that um, we are a society of addicts and as such, um, these things are being abused mm -hmm. at least as much as they are being properly used. Yeah. Yeah, because on the one hand, we are like doing more of, to like speak truth to power and to post things and and and, you know, things are uncovering and 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 all that. Um, and also um, there is less room for like, especially in the um, the text mediums, there's less room for debate and there's there's like a lot of pile ons that will happen and. I was listening to um, this podcast, uh, Bad with Money, uh, which is just very, very good if you if you want millennial money advice and also like random bouts of socialism and things. And uh, and uh, they and not the, Dave Ramsey telling you you're doing it all wrong. Oh no! Boo. And so no, it's 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 Sorry, more I, like I maybe shouldn't say that name because he likes to go after people. Oh Fuck yeah, you, Dave um, Ramsey. Go yeah, after me. that's 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 I've I've I have watched several deep dive uh, YouTube videos unpacking that man, uh, but that is not a now conversation. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> they were talking about the financial implications of cancel culture and interviewing a couple people mm -hmm. about their experience with cancel culture. And there was a there was a trans woman who um, essentially like got like outed and canceled through something that they posted and it was a call is coming from inside the house situation where the the, the there was cancellation within their community due to a misunderstanding so they were talking about the different nonsenses the different nuances but nonsenses is a good freudian slip nuances of 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 how sometimes there's canceling like, like there's a difference between somebody speaking truth to power and calling out someone in a power position and and versus a pile on over a misunderstanding that is just toxic nonsense within your own group and like and just sort of the different nuances but the overall but also the conversation was like we use the term cancel culture but there are many other specific words that can be used <laughs> I like to LeVar. Yeah. you go Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Um. But but anyway, I guess what I'm saying is there are nuances as with anything, and I think because there isn't that time to listen and respond, and and I, when you're in a debate online, it's like you put something out into the world. And then you're waiting for a response and then you're making up all of the stuff in your head about the response and you're in fight or flight mode thinking about your response instead of actually getting to see the person's facial reaction and actually, you know, hear it and actually have that direct feedback. It's 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 like writing angry letters at each other in public. It's not great. Um, yeah. Far Burton called cancel culture consequence culture mm -hmm. and i agree with that and I, I i think cancel culture on the aggregate is a good thing i mm -hmm. really do on the other hand there is a sense in which th there is some truth to what right-wing persons say when they say well you have to walk on eggshells you have to be careful mm -hmm. about what you say you have to make sure that you because yeah it, it, it is true that to 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 say something that is that is racist is going to get you in a lot more trouble mm -hmm. now than it than it than it, it it did 20 years ago that's a good thing that's a wonderful yeah. thing on the yeah. other hand it's a scary thing for those yeah. for, for for those of us who really ought 
find ought to be scared. We ought yeah. to to yeah. to to experience the world as in 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 a way that's a little less safe than than what we're used to because we're 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 historically powerful people and mm-hmm. I'm talking about white men and mm-hmm. we, we really need to be brought down a few notches there. Right. And I think there's a difference between consequence culture and bullying too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. um and especially in the case of like misunderstandings and people eating their own because they're feeling self-righteous like that's there there there's a difference you know yeah self-righteousness absolutely because there's also a sense i think in which the left uses especially white male leftists use um um cancel culture political correctness as a way and and i hate this word wokeness Mm -hmm. as a way to essentially say i have arrived and these other people have not Mm -hmm. and essentially it becomes a kind of fundamentalism a kind of judgmentalism and I I, I would want to call that out yeah and and I I know when I call people out I use my teacher voice or like the voice of some people of of somebody telling you your fly is open like you know like (laughs) uh like I I try to like because that's what it is like it's it's like you're giving them a note it's like a director giving you a note like it should always be treated in that unless it's like now if it's an outright like injustice like that's there's there's a harder voice for that but but if it's just people like checking each other like it it's not like you're a horrible person it's just like hey my dude your fly's open like yeah you know so so the one thing that i have thought about with social media um you know we we're talking about council culture and and all of that as a person with a somewhat public role not on a huge stage but to some extent i I have had to do a lot of thinking and and think carefully about what sorts of things I post on my on my social media, recognizing that um, parishioners, <laughs> family, others see it. And you know, so it's it's really an interesting wrestle of sometimes I feel the guilt of not saying things when maybe I should. But then also trying to find words to say things that can contribute to conversation in a meaningful way. Um, but I, I recognize there's a lot of fear that I have in that regard. And I don't know if this is helpful or meaningful, but it's just an interesting perspective that each pastor kind of has to make a decision. You know, do I invite, do I have parishioners on social media? Do I have, uh, you know, who do I let in? Um, I know I never intentionally add someone unless um, we've had the conversation, but a lot more often it's the parishioners adding me and I'm fine with that because I'm aware of it. And the decision that I've made is I will add them. It just means that I'm going to be more particular about the kinds of things that I say. It's considering one's audience. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, um, on the other hand, I don't really like that term because um, I, 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 I resist the idea that our parishioners are our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, there is something to be said about considering one's audience mm-hmm. um, when saying what one is saying. Uh, I also think that liberation theology can be helpful in the following sense, that if we follow it to its conclusion, there is a role for white male allies in relating and white female allies and you know any person of privilege who is allied to the struggle of liberation um, in that you know the, the, the first responsibility of the oppressed is to cast off their oppressor right that that's that that's their goal cast off the oppressor they express anger at their oppressor they express uh you know they, they do whatever they have to right to to cast off their oppressor their oppressor our responsibility is twofold one to help them in whatever way we can two to relate to our family and friends who are their oppressors as well as ourselves who are their oppressors as well um but there's a sense in which 
and this gets back to a lot of white liberals, white progressive, white leftists, whatever, um, sort of take on, like sort of express anger and um, hatred and um, um, calling out to the point of self-righteousness at um, their... Uh, uh, at their white friends and family, when I wonder if our role as white men, white women, is to instead show compassion with others as sort of a, a way to help, you know, mm, help yeah. them to understand. It, it, come on, uh, let's. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know you mm -hmm. didn't mean anything by this. I, fair mm -hmm. enough. But this is how it was heard. Yep. And, you know, and, and to, to be a place where they can, because I mean, as I recall, when I was a, I'm talking too much. I am a white man talking too much. <laughs> Sorry. Keep going. Keep going. When I was in high school, I was a debater and I um, was an arrogant little shit. And of course, sometimes I, I'm still an arrogant little shit, forgive me. But, um, you know, I, I would say things that for shock value that uh, if I had said them now, I, I, I would, the, the response would have been very different now than 20 years ago when I was in middle school and high school. And uh, I, I keep thinking, I look at certain, certain young white men who are quote unquote canceled, who experience consequences, and I think they're but for the grace of God, go I. And um, it mm -hmm. seems to me that on the one hand, it's very important that they encounter the consequences of their actions. It's also important they have a safe place to land so that they can learn mm -hmm. rather than just be yes. um, um, yep. cornered in, because the cornering, I think, doesn't have the effect that we want. It's yeah, the not, last yeah. thing we want to do is drive them deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and like people don't learn from being shamed. Like you do have to have that empathetic response to, to yeah. it. And empathy does not mean endorsement. Um, that's me quoting Dylan Marin, whose uh, podcast is conversations with people who hate me. And he does, he interviews people who were, who comment on, who commented um, with mean things on his social media and has deep conversations with them. Uh, and uh, not all of the people he reaches out to talk to him, but anyway, uh but no you gotta i i really get what like what you're saying is like yeah our role is to is to like ca call people out with with kindness and like and i that's usually the role that i take on i've been trying to take on when there's when there's um conflicted conversations now i don't i've also but i've also stopped like getting in conflict conversations because it will suck my entire day and I and I will fixate on it and it's just not great um so we have um we're I, we're at a point to sort of wrap up this conversation and I wanted to do one last little question and that is Design your own ideal social media platform. What elements would it have? What would it? What 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 values would it have? Um, and what would it bring you? Um, and I'll I'll sort of start with with mine. But I think my um, I would want a. I would want something video based. I would want something that uh, had an element of like um, like community counseling, like moderators who were who were specifically paid to like pull people into chat rooms and like unpack their things and like have a scheduled appointment to unpack that. I guess, I guess that means that I would want chaplains on my platform. I don't know about that. Um, and, um, and have a fair amount of like interest-based discussions. So like having a forum element, um, but also like discovering it would be more interests and ideas based and, and also, have but you could sort for interests and ideas but also sort by particular groups of friends and not just like here's everybody you've ever known ever um and be able to sort of like look in different community pods 
Um, and also it would be paid so that uh, advertisers wouldn't be incentivized to manipulate me. Mm. I think I would echo that. The other thing I do, I do wish there was a component that could guide, that could help people become more media literate, mm. you know, to understand, you know, here's the, here's the source on this. Here's the, you know, cause that's, I think that's part of the problem sometimes is in this marketplace of ideas, there's not, everyone can just kind of put stuff out there without it necessarily being quality and and yet there's also been this resistance to fact checking mm -hmm. <laughs> and so i think rather than having someone out and out come and fact check it just say here's some resources to help interpret this yeah like here's the like almost like a wikipedia like rabbit hole like a curated like here are some mm -hmm. sources if you want to go dip further down this rabbit mm -hmm. hole yeah like and like dot edu type sources yeah I think I would call it conservatives I trust. Um, or, and then there'd be a, a, a reversal called liberals I trust, or, well, I'm not a liberal, leftists I trust. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, the problem with political argument is that there needs to be a perfect balance of safety and unsafety. That in order to get into arguments with people we don't like, or well, not, not necessarily we don't like, we don't agree with, we have to feel safe enough to be but stupid with them, right? To know that they're not going to take our stupidity and abuse it, right? And exploit it and, and just use it to make themselves feel better, right? Um, so we have to feel safe to be unsafe. So I would like to take um, a leftist, um, put them in a pod of right-wingers, people who have intentionally joined the pod and have committed themselves to certain principles of intellectual safety, to pr certain principles of we're not trying to convert you to rightism. We're not trying to prove you wrong. We're just trying to share ideas with you. And uh, you can feel comfortable to, to be but stupid with us, as long as we can be comfortable to be but mm -hmm. stupid with you. And so you, you take, take this leftist and put him or her in a pod of trustworthy right-wingers. And then you take a right-winger and you put him or her in a pod of trustworthy left-wingers. And then you have them share ideas. The, you are actually describing a thing that exists. Uh, there's, a, there's a group called, I think, it's, I think it's Angels of Our Better Nature, but there's a group that does uh, sort of um, retreats that are in that style. And uh, they interviewed them, or the, 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 they were interviewed on an episode of, of your undivided attention. Um, the, the, I have one other thing to say, if I may. I'd like to push back on the question a little bit. Yeah, if absolutely. I may. What if, now I realize that Facebook as a company should take a lot more social responsibility, and that there's a lot of research out there that Facebook is just ignoring. But what if the idea of Facebook as such is really fine. You just need some minor repairs and tweaking here or there. But the idea of Facebook as what it is, is fine. The problem is us. The problem is that we're, we're using it in, in a way that is addictive. And, and we're not using it as a tool. We're using it as we're, 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 in, we're using it as the way to enter the, the experience machine to filter all of our lives through this electronic medium instead of actually going out there and living our lives and engaging in human relationships as well authentic human relationships as well so i think there's some truth to that hmm. but yeah. i think that there's some ways that they could design things to help not feed into that mm -hmm. yeah sure. you know yeah. i like oh sorry go ahead yeah because the app is like specifically designed to keep you it's like, like they use slot machine design there there's there's stats on that sure. um and and uh this is making me think of I, i'm gonna let michelle finish finish her thought and then I, there's a there's a book that i can i can go on about a little bit um yeah i've i've seen some suggestions for design that like you know it it keeps you from the continual scrolling that it it sets timing and mm -hmm. you know i think having some designs in place that are required that help set boundaries. 
yeah on the time element of it i think would also be helpful yeah um there's so there's a book called um digital minimalism which i read a little a little bit ago but it sort of talks about like different systems that you can put in place to to um sort of help help uh buffer things and like and use social media with more intention now i did my 30-day detox and i came back and like and i'm still i'm still struggling even though i i kind of i know what intentions i want to come to social media with it it's difficult but some of it is recognizing where you fill your time with scrolling when are you you and 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 replacing the habit of of scrolling with actually reaching out to friends like having designated office hours for when you are on your DMs, you know, like the like figuring out ways to like figure out what are what are my values and my intentions with this app and can I accomplish those intentions uh in a place that is not this app. <laughs> and and stuff like that. So so there's definitely work that the individual can do and also uh there are systems that that I think could be tweaked structurally as well. Um, and it's hard because they made the, the, the rules are being made as like we've been using, like, like it's grown over like the past 10 years. It's, it's become this thing and we have to keep up with what the etiquette actually is, you know? Um, so. There's no way social media is going away absent the no. nuclear war. Um, it's, it's, it's here to stay. And, um, uh, it will be with us a uh, hundred years from now. So the question is not, do we let it go or you know eliminate it as some kind of enemy? The question is, how do we integrate it? Yeah, mm -hmm. and how do we use it in a way that is that is human, and humane? Um, yeah. Well, I feel like that's a good place to wrap things up. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you have any recommendations on books on this topic, you can absolutely leave those in the Patreon comments. And um, yeah, and if you like what we do um, on this Patreon exclusive podcast, you should definitely let your friends know to join us as well and uh, share the New Faith New Media network around with your friends. And let's build our let's build our community uh, here and other places and on Facebook. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. New Faith, New Media. Theology. Nerdery. Community.